0: One time in high school, I went over to the house of a girl that I liked in order to meet her parents. Believe me, I knew what a high-stakes event this was, so I brought a secret weapon, my new guitar. I distinctly remember pulling the thing out of its case, and never in my entire life have I so clearly read a facial expression to say so much without a single word being uttered. Perhaps I had miscalculated just a bit because their faces were clearly saying just upon sight of this guitar, son, I can guarantee we will never again set eyes on you as long as we live. Now, 17 years later, I completely understand why as I pulled, this guitar out of the case. Now, I know what you're thinking, and the answers are as follows. No, I did not have shoulder length feathered hair at the time. No, I was not dressed in all black. No, I was not wearing eyeliner or a spiked collar. And no, I did not exclusively listen to Metallica and Motorhead. Now, I could tell things were going sideways, so I thought, okay, I have one chance to make this count. So I took a deep breath, stretched my fingers, and I began to play. so needless to say things didn't quite work out between us (laughs) the funny thing is that this guitar drastically misrepresented who I was it didn't match the style of music that I played it didn't match my personality it didn't match the way I looked It, it it honestly didn't match who I was now hopefully it wasn't as stupid as me buying this guitar but i'm sure that we could admit that from time to time we've all done things that misrepresented ourselves things that did not accurately depict who we are or what we value whether it was something that we did something we said maybe something we posted on social media and just like me with that guitar we may not have even realized that we were misrepresenting ourselves so drastically. In the New Testament book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul had noticed that some of the members of the church in Philippi had done that very thing. For them, they had lowered their standards, accepting their way of life as good enough not realizing that their lives were drastically misrepresenting Jesus. Or maybe they just thought their actions didn't matter as much as their words, but either way, it had caused them to become complacent. But as we're going to see from Paul today... That those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus are actually citizens of heaven. And as such, we ought to be continually moving forward on our journey of looking less and less like the world around us and more and more like Christ in us. And this failure to pursue a life that reflects Jesus drastically misrepresents who we are as new creations in Jesus. And so as we prepare to dive into God's word today, let me just say a quick word of prayer. God, we just ask that you would move in our midst, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want to say to us today. Help us to be ready to hear hard truths even when we're not Quite wanting to be stretched. God, we want to look more like you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Now, a common theme, not only for Paul, but for other New Covenant, New Testament writers as well, is this concept of transformation to look more like Jesus. That if we have been saved by the grace and blood of Jesus, then the way we live ought to reflect that reality. It's not that we have to earn our salvation by our actions, but an authentic faith is demonstrated by our actions because faith is more than just intellectual agreement. It's more than simply saying, that's what I believe. Now, you can find many other examples of this line of thought, but I think James 1.22 says it most succinctly. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you were only fooling yourselves. Well, in the book of Philippians, Paul is moving toward this very end in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or your devices, I'd love for you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And as you turn there, let me give you some context. Paul starts in the first 11 verses of chapter 3 by clarifying that true righteousness does not come through obedience to the law, but it comes through faith, in Christ, that it's not actually our righteousness to begin with, but God's righteousness, and it's achieved through faith and not works. It's interesting that he so clearly makes this distinction, that it's faith, not works, when you consider what Paul says in verses 12 to 14. Picking up in Philippians three twelve, Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul talks about pursuing perfection, which again is interesting when you consider that Paul just stated that righteousness comes from faith and not from works. Now, it may seem like Paul is kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth here, but. What Paul is trying to drive home is that pursuing perfection, it's not an effort we must make in order to earn our salvation, but rather it's a response to what Jesus has already done in us. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. We have to make sure that we put the cart behind the horse here. The action of Jesus must always come before any action of our own. We only ever respond to Jesus. I only press on to make it my own because Jesus has already made me his own. And yet, it may have originated with Jesus' work in us, but we are still to strive to make it our own, which may sound daunting. But it's not as ridiculous of a pursuit as it may seem, especially when we understand what Paul means when he uses this word, perfection. The word that we translate as perfection is not quite the same as how we typically think of the word perfection today. Today, we might hear the word perfect and think something that's without blemish, it's immaculate, it's as good as it is possible for that thing to be. But the word that Paul is using carries more of a meaning of, like, fully grown. It's it's a state of fulfillment. When something has become, in fact, what it was ideally meant to be. Like, imagine picking an apple straight from a tree and taking a bite. The first few you pick, they're all kind of soft and mushy and gross. So you spit them out and, and you try again. But then you finally pick one apple that is this amazing blend of, of crisp and tart and sweet. And so, you just kind of and say, mm, this one is perfect. Now, you're not necessarily saying that it's the prettiest looking apple or that there aren't any like minor deformities to the molecular structure of the apple atoms. What you're saying is that the apple is fully grown. It's ripe. It has become what it was ideally meant to be all along. As children of God, who were made in the image of our almighty creator, we were ideally meant to live, act, and love as Jesus modeled for us during his time on Earth. That is what it looks like to be fully grown completely fulfilled and living out the calling that is placed on our lives and to that end we ought to be daily striving to look less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus as we grow up so that people get a taste of Jesus when they interact with us we press on to make it our own not because we're trying to earn but because we are compelled to respond and as we strive to look less and less like the world around us and more and more like Jesus in us, we understand that pursuing the type of perfection that Paul is talking about, that, that becoming fully grown, is not a salvation issue, nor is it even a righteousness issue. It's, it's a maturity issue. Paul continues in verse 15, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe that God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Paul clearly tells us here that it's, it's a maturity issue and you need to understand righteousness and spiritual maturity are not the same thing. When we are saved and we surrender ourselves to Jesus, we, are righteous. Or more accurately, Jesus's righteousness abides in us. But we still have to go through the process of learning how to act like it. We don't have to press on towards perfection because we have to become righteous. We already are righteous because of the work of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because again, it's not even our righteousness in the first place. But the process of becoming spiritually mature is simply learning how to act like it. Of making sure that what people see on the outside, our actions, our words, reflect the righteousness of God that is already in us. We just have to have grace for one another to realize that we're all at different places in that journey. And that's okay because we are people in process. But what Paul is getting at in verse 16 is that wherever we are, we have to take steps to move forward in that journey rather than standing still or moving backwards. That's what the process of becoming spiritually mature is all about, learning to reflect outwardly the work that God has already done for you inwardly. Pursuing perfection, it's not a salvation issue or or even a righteousness issue. It's a spiritual maturity issue. And the good news is that maturity is a team sport. He continues in verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. That's, I, I can't imagine saying that. And learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct, or their actions, show that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about life here on this earth. Listen, Paul isn't holding any punches here. But the good news is that he tells us that maturity is a team sport. Sure becoming spiritually mature is an individual journey but he's showing us that it's not a journey that should be taken individually. In other words, I can't lean on your spiritual maturity and count it as my own but I can and Paul is saying that I should learn from your spiritual maturity and follow your example. We should be challenging one another to make Progress. We should be challenging one another to look less like the world and more like Jesus. We should be watching the example of others who are further down the path, and we should be striving to set an example for others who, who aren't as far along as we are. Proverbs 27:17 says, "As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend." Listen, we are better together. We were created for connection. I'm sure that many of you who have been on this journey for a while would say the same thing that I'm about to say, but I absolutely would not be where I am today without others who have helped me on this journey. We should be challenging one another. We should be following and setting an example in pursuit of perfection or spiritual maturity. But when we see others fall short, It shouldn't lead us to land in this seat of judgment towards them. It should break our hearts. Paul doesn't condemn those who don't seem to get it. Instead, he weeps for them in compassion. And that is the all-important difference between holiness and legalism. Holiness wants to see you set free from the sin that enslaves you. Whereas legalism wants to sit in the seat of judgment, just pointing the finger. Look how terrible you are. Paul certainly doesn't shy away from telling it like it is. He very candidly states that sometimes our conduct, or again, our actions, they're, they're actually communicating to others that we are enemies of the cross of Christ. That sometimes the things we do and the things we say And the posts we make on social media are drastically misrepresenting who we really are and what we really value. But when Paul says this, he doesn't take joy in pointing out their sins or our sins. He weeps for them because he understands that we're all in this journey together and we absolutely need one another if we're going to make progress. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are challenging you to take steps in the right direction on this journey? Are you the type of person who challenges those around you to be better and inspires them to want to know Christ more? Think about what it would look like for us to live that kind of faith and to surround ourselves with people who live that kind of faith. And and why should we be so intent on helping one another make progress in this pursuit of perfection in the first place? Paul actually gives us our answer as he continues in verse 20. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control this is so important paul tells us we are citizens of heaven And this is a very significant statement that Paul is making. And we should be able to feel that, given all of the turmoil in our country right now. But truthfully, it would have held even more weight for the Philippians. You see, the city of Philippi was a Roman outpost in Macedonia, which meant that the people who lived in Philippi enjoyed Roman citizenship. So even though they were surrounded by Macedonians, they themselves were not Macedonians. They were Romans, and they took great pride in that. Even though they were surrounded by people living according to Macedonian culture, following Macedonian traditions and Macedonian customs, the people of Philippi, they didn't live that way. They were proud that they were Roman citizens, and as such, they very intentionally pursued radical adoption of Roman culture, following Roman traditions and Roman customs, which set them apart from the Macedonian culture all around them. And because of that, it was glaringly obvious that they were different and proud of it. Now, Paul makes a very significant, and honestly, it would have been even controversial, this statement, by telling the church in Philippi, hey, listen, I know that you are proud that you are full-fledged citizens of Rome, but really, as Christians, you should be more focused on the fact that you are full-fledged citizens of heaven. Listen. I know that we have something to be proud of as American citizens. And I need you to hear that I love our country, and I am beyond thankful for the men and women who have served, fought, and even died for our freedoms. But Paul reminds us that we, as followers of Jesus, are first and foremost citizens of heaven. As Derek Webb, the singer-songwriter, so eloquently put it, we need to remember that as followers of Jesus, our first allegiance isn't to a flag, a country, or a man from either side of the aisle. Listen, it doesn't mean that we can't or even shouldn't show our allegiance to any of these things. That's not what he's saying. It just means that as citizens of heaven, our first allegiance is to a king and a kingdom. Are we looking for a savior on Capitol Hill when we've already had a savior on Skull Hill? Listen, there's nothing wrong at all with loving our country. But does that love of country lead us to do, say, and post things that drastically misrepresent who we are as followers of Jesus? Does it lead us to constantly spew words of hate and division when jesus told us that actually people will know that we are his followers by the way that we love and there's nothing wrong on the other side with calling out our country and its leaders to do better and to push for social change for the sake of those on the margins But do those positions lead us to do, say, and post things that drastically misrepresent who we are as followers of Jesus? Are we calling out and pushing in a way that is loving and edifying or in a way that is full of hate and condemnation? Because participating in the mudslinging and the division-causing rhetoric is not who we are. We are new creations in Jesus. We are his righteousness. We have been transformed by his love. Or if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, that's what you have to look forward to. Being told that the old sinful self has passed away, and behold, you are a new creation in Jesus. Behold, the old is passed away, the new is here. We may be an outpost of heaven, living in a place where we are surrounded by a different culture, the culture of this world. But even though we don't live there right now, we are full-fledged citizens of heaven. And as such, we should be pursuing radical adoption of the culture of heaven, following heavenly traditions and customs. You know what I'm talking about. All of the stuff that Jesus taught while he was here on earth. Which, if we truly lived that way, would set us apart from the culture and of the world around us, making it glaringly obvious that we are different. That during a place and season where hate and division abound everywhere, we are intentional with our words to speak the truth in love and pursue unity as peacemakers. Will we ever become like fully perfect and make it? Paul says, no, not until we stand face to face with Jesus in glory and our bodies are transformed to be like his according to his power. But that should not stop us from radical pursuit of the culture of heaven here. Again, not because we are trying to earn anything, but because that is who we are. Think of it this way. If For some reason, I truly believed that the Japanese culture was the absolute best culture in the world. And if I thought that living according to the Japanese culture, I would be leading the best possible life, I would find the biggest sense of meaning and purpose, I would be participating in the greatest movement in the world. If I believed it so much that I actually considered myself Japanese, even though I don't actually live in Japan. If I truly believed those things, It wouldn't be enough just to study Japanese culture or to talk about how great Japanese culture is thanks to the amazing things the Japanese Prime Minister has done. It would only make sense for me to pursue radical adoption of Japanese culture. Just reading about it and talking about it, it wouldn't be enough. I would practice the language. I would implement the customs. I would follow the traditions. I would constantly send in audition tapes to try to make it on bizarre Japanese reality competition shows. Listen, I may not be able to move there myself, but you better believe I would immerse myself in every aspect of that culture that I possibly could until it became my natural way of life because nothing else would do if that's who I truly was. Friends, we are citizens of heaven. Why in the world would we not pursue radical adoption of the culture of heaven instead of getting so caught up in the politics and the culture of this world to the point that we have set ourselves at odds with the cross of Jesus? We should be pursuing radical adoption of the culture of heaven. It doesn't make sense to live any other way. Not because we are trying to earn anything, but because we are citizens of heaven, and that is who we are. In fact, that's our main thought today. As a citizen of heaven, I must pursue the culture of heaven. We have to remember that, that I must pursue the culture of heaven. It's who, it's who we are, it's who I am. Piece by piece, we have to remove the old attire in order to replace it with our new way of life. We have to study more and more about the culture of heaven, the things that Jesus taught us and modeled for us, because we have to know it if we're going to actually apply it and live according to Jesus' teachings. Changing the outside, the things we say and do, to reflect the righteousness within, is a process. And it's not one that, should, that we should attempt on our own. We were designed to go through life together. We were created for connection. But that process of becoming spiritually mature, it absolutely does matter. Because we are citizens of heaven, called to pursue the culture of heaven which is really just the process of becoming spiritually mature, which leads to the righteousness that is on the inside being reflected on the outside. That means striving to be changed lives, changing lives. It means understanding that if we want to be the greatest, we have to position ourselves as the lowest by serving those around us. It means living as peacemakers, instead of joining the perpetual mudslinging that happens on social media, and to recognize that our pursuit of Jesus, it has to outstrip any pursuit of political agenda. Touching those that the world deems untouchable and loving those who the world deems unlovable. Actively fighting against racism and sex trafficking and exploitation. Controlling our tempers bridling our bodily urges, turning our cheeks, loving our enemies, choosing to love and show grace instead of showing hate and judging others for having a different opinion. Friends, we are citizens of heaven. May we commit to radical pursuit of the culture of heaven until it becomes glaringly obvious that we are different than the culture around us. Because this is not who we are. We're misrepresenting ourselves. Listen, all of this happens by allowing Jesus to renew our minds and to daily surrender to him and the power that he alone has to change us from the inside out. Let's surrender to the God over all and allow him to build our lives on this culture. Let's sing together.
1: Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name is the only one I could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you and hold song we could ever see worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you jesus jesus the name above every other name us the only one that could ever say. Oh, you're worthy, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no I will be my
0: let's pray. God, we thank you so much that your grace is bigger than any of the mistakes that we are going to make, that we have made along this journey. And yet, God, we do want to build our lives upon you. We do want to reflect you to this broken world around us. We do not want to be the stumbling blocks, the thing that keeps others from experiencing your amazing goodness and love and grace. Father, help us to be an accurate reflection of you to reflect on the outside and the way that we conduct ourselves, the fact that we are citizens of heaven here and now, and we are your righteousness, because this is only possible through you. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We love you guys. See you soon.